Well, you guys, we've been on a journey, as you know, Rhythms of a Disciple. We've been learning different rhythms, and hopefully this has been a great journey for you, and you've been engaging these in your life. I know that I have in mind, and it's been, it's been refreshing, it's been encouraging, it's been stimulating, it's been convicting. And, um, and I, I, I'm excited because I get to talk about worship today, and as one of the rhythms of being a follower of Christ, uh, then we definitely worship. We were created to worship. Um, we're going to worship because that is intrinsic to who we are. In, in fact, uh, we worship what we love. And even before you became a believer, you were already worshiping. It just may not have been God. It may not have been the one true God. And so part of what we begin with is worship. And as I started to look at the scriptures and, 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 and I'm looking at them, there was a particular facet of worship that the Lord was highlighting to me, and I shared with First Service, and I want to share this with you, that this is an area um, that, is, that I'm being convicted about, that I'm being confronted with. Um, this is not an area that I come to you as a specialist about. I come to you preaching from the scriptures and saying, wow, how then shall we live in light of this part of scripture? I don't come as well to be able to say, oh yeah, and here's what I learned, and here's what I've done. I'm, I'm actually not there with this. This is something that is, that is confronting me in a, in a really beautiful way, and, um, and you'll see, uh, for those of you that heard my testimony, you'll see why that is, but I want to share this with you. Um, and the spirit of this message is, is in the context of worship, and I realize there's lots of different facets to worship. We just worshiped through singing. Um, uh, Shalice worshiped through signing and movement. The, the team that's, that didn't sing, the part of the team that didn't sing, they worshiped through the playing of music. These are all parts of worship. For those of you that gave offerings and tithes, you just worshiped through, gener through generosity. Okay? So, and, you're, and the fact that you've gathered here, by the way, is a rhythm of worship that you're joining together and loving one another and encountering the scriptures together, which we're commanded to do as disciples of Christ. And you've worshiped in that way. So there's a lot of different aspects of worship. And in fact, God has called us to worship him in all that we do. But there are particular habits that we embrace that, that actually are a launching point for the rest of the worship that we do. So when we gather together to worship him in singing, we're proclaiming the reality of who the king is, and we're speaking, we're actually singing psalms. Most of these songs that we sang today were inspired by the scripture. They were inspired by psalms, and they've been paraphrased, but we're here declaring and magnifying who God is. And as we sing that, as we gather, as we do that, not only are we singing it and enjoying it, there's an existential side of this. It's wonderful. It's fun to hear. It resonates. There's so many levels to it. But we're also prophesying. And we're speaking to our own heart and our own soul and saying, as for me in my house, I will serve the Lord. As for me in this house, we do glorify God. We do exalt you. And we call upon the name of Jesus. And we remember from where we came, we remember where we are, and we remember where we're going. These are all part of worship. And what we do on Sundays, why are we called to do this? Why do we do this as a rhythm? Because it relaunches us so that we continue to do it throughout the week. And for all of history, God has called believers to gather together and to do this. And for all of history, the enemy has always tried to minimize that. So I commend you for being here today. Come on, good job, guys. You're worshipers. Now, I want to talk to you about maybe something that's... that's um, I want to talk to you about something that... 
that's an on-ramp, that, that, in, that informs and inspires and is a guiding principle to worship, to a life of worship. So here we go. You ready? And I'm going to cover several scriptures, and I'm going to try to keep my comments somewhat light because I do want to get to the application part of this. So are you ready? Okay, buckle up because here comes the scriptures. Here we go. The first scripture I want to share with you is in John 4. Verses 22 through 24, and this is Jesus, and he's speaking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he says to her, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now there's two things I want you to grab out of this. Number one, until God tells us what it is that we're worshiping and how to worship, that scripture is to us, you guys worship what you do not know, okay? We all worshiped what we did not know before we met Christ. And we've learned some things Some things. Since then, some of it's really good and it's right, and then some of it we need to go back and go, Lord, you know, I've always done this, I've always believed this, I've always thought this, but is this how you do it? Is this right? Lord, is this what you believe? Come on. The second thing is this. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And what that means is that there's actually a standard and a reality to what God requires when it comes to worship. It's objective. It's not based on your experience. It's not based on your cultural context. It's not based on your personalities or your quirks or your prejudices. It's not based on whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. It's not based on what color your skin is or any other stinking thing that we could come up with. It is based on who he is and on the fact that you are a son and a daughter that he's adopted and he's actually given us an opportunity and a way to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's good news, isn't it? Come on. So it is not subjective. That's the key. It's not subjective. There is a way that he has called us to worship him. And so if that's true, then how do we find out about that? How do we get into that? How do we live that out? Well, it begins with this. One of the things that Jason and I have endeavored to do in this series is as we're talking about rhythms of a disciple is that we have not uh, used a lot of source material from from great believers throughout history, although we've used that maybe as a, as, a, as a help. We haven't used that as the main source material. What we've used is Christ, Christ's life. What did Jesus do? Because we don't want to teach you pop culture. It's helpful, but it's not the stuff. We want to give you the stuff. And Jesus was the firstborn of many, and we're the many. So let's look at Christ's life and say, how did Christ engage with worship? How did Christ engage with following the Lord and worshiping him in spirit and truth? How did he fulfill that? How did he do that while he was here? And so here, this is speaking of Christ in Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You see, the entry point that we're talking about for a life of worship, the beginning of worship, worshiping him in spirit and in truth, that informs everything that we do, amazingly enough, begins with the fear of the Lord. 
the fear of the Lord. You know that word, the fear of the Lord, and it's okay for us to just take a moment and go, okay, what's the temperature for us here? What's the temperature for our culture? Well, let me tell you just one thing about our culture. Understand that we were all born into a democracy, most of us. And And if you weren't, you moved to America and you've been a part of a democracy for a long time. And so our tiny little democratic brains just go poof when it comes to the idea of fear the king. The idea of being subservient and giving full reverence and awe to a king is so foreign to our way of thinking that it almost short circuits us when we read into the Bible. We're like, that must not be what they mean because that sounds like we actually serve and care more about what a ruler thinks than what we think. And that sounds, and <laughs> that sounds like the opposite of everything that we value here as, good, as a good democracy. Democracy is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing for governing nations. But God didn't set up a democracy in the kingdom. He is a king. So I just want you to just know that right away, if there's a certain part of you that when I said, the fear of the Lord is a good thing, and somehow for some reason your brain just kind of went, it's because you grew up in a democracy and you're like, I don't even know what that means. Like the only time I've ever seen that, it's a bad thing. Do you fear the king? No, we're overthrowing the king. It's the French Revolution. Woo! Do you fear the king? No, we told him to go away and we formed America. Yay, us. Well, but in this situation, when I say, do you fear the king? You want to go, yes, I fear the king. And that's what we're talking about here. So let's continue. All right, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So the first thing is, is that Jesus actually delights in the fear of the Lord. He's actually delighting in the fear of the Lord. And if if he's the firstborn of many and we're the many, then that means that we are to actually delight in the fear of the Lord. So that's the first thing. I'm supposed to delight in the fear of the Lord. Okay, all right, I got that. So what would that look like? Well, first question would be, what, uh, where did the fear of the Lord come from? Why did Jesus do that? Where did that come from? What does that have to do with worship? Well, I'll show you. The first place that we see it, where did it come from, is in Deuteronomy when God is speaking to Israel and he's calling them and he's saying, I'm going to take you into the promised land and here's how I want you to live. And he says to them, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, sorry, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, 14 and 16, fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Don't follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he'll destroy you from the face of the land. And don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did in Massa. So where we learned about the first commandment, what's the first commandment? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. The second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law and the prophets. The law and the prophets was given in the context of God saying, you are to fear the Lord your God and love him only. Worship and fearing the Lord are intrinsically linked, and this is where they started. So this idea of serving God and fearing him began here. It's the first commandment. Jesus learned about this. Now watch how Jesus, as the perfect example of a worshiper and a follower and a disciple of God, let's see how he responded when he was first tempted in the area of worship. The devil comes. You guys know the story. Jesus is being tempted by the enemy. He's in the wilderness. The enemy comes and he says to God, says to Jesus, all the splendor of the world has been given to me. It's all mine, baby. And if you will worship me, he says, it will all be yours. And what does Jesus do? He answers him and he says, it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy that I just showed you, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
What's Jesus doing? He's delighting in the fear of the Lord. He's delighting in the fear of the Lord. He's starting, he's fulfilling the prophetic word about him in Isaiah. He's delighting in the fear of the Lord and he's using that delight in the fear of the Lord in the area of worship to defeat the enemy who's saying, worship me instead. And it goes on. If you're the son of God, he said, Satan, throw yourself down from here for it's written he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. The enemy comes in and goes, okay, let's just take some stuff out of context. We're playing the scripture game? No problem, I'll quote the wrong scripture. Jesus isn't having it. He stays in the same scripture. He's like, you're not changing the subject. This isn't a new deal. We're still talking about worship. And in the area of worship, that begins in Deuteronomy, that we will fear the Lord and worship him only. So here's the answer for that one too, Satan. It's in the same place of reverencing and delighting in the fear of the Lord, and it's this. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. And with that, the Lord rejects changing his worship from God, from staying in the worship and reverence of God. He rejects changing from that and worshiping something else. Beloved, I want you to know something. When the enemy comes to tempt us, he doesn't come and say like, I'm the devil, worship me. Like, come on, who's ever, like maybe one or two of you were Satan worshipers in your past life. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But aside from that, where you've gotten to that level, where he tempts you is like, hey, worship the creation, worship money, worship fame, worship your own beauty, worship your own autonomy, worship music, worship whatever it is, worship what's been created instead of worshiping the creator. Because he gets, he gets the glory out of that. He's getting you to look away from worshiping God and reverencing and fearing him only, and you're reverencing something else. And we're to resist the enemy the same way that God resisted him. By reverencing the Lord, by fearing the Lord and saying, absolutely not, it is commanded. I will delight in fearing the Lord in this situation. And I will not lower myself to worship what is created. I will only worship the creator. Are you with me? So let's continue, but there's a key here. There's a key here we gotta catch. And it's in the fear of the Lord. So let's talk about the fear of the Lord. Jesus just responded to the attack of the enemy in the area of worship through the fear of the Lord. Jesus is delighting in the fear of the Lord. So what is it? What is it? Well, let's begin here. Psalm 34, seven through 11. I wanna say something to you about this as we get into this. I'm gonna quote several Psalms. Do you know who wrote the Psalms? King David. Who is King David? The man after God's heart. The, I mean, he's the worshiper. He is the singing king, right? He is the one that discovered the heart of God and discovered the secrets of God that Christ was going to come, that God didn't want the law. He wanted the law to be fulfilled through love. This is David, the main worshiper. Here's what's interesting about David. He's the one that writes about fear more than anybody else, about fearing the Lord. David discovered that the key to loving and understanding God was in the fear and reverence of God. I just want you to catch this, that the main worshiper talks more about the fear of the Lord than anybody else. And then his son Solomon continues with that. But isn't that an interesting key? Isn't it interesting that the one that understood the heart of God gained entrance by understanding the fear of the Lord? So let's talk some more about that fear. Here he's speaking of it. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. This is a song of praise, by the way. This is a worship song. It's a worship song about the fear of the Lord. That's kind of hard for our little democratic minds to get around, huh? Our Western minds are like, what? 
I fear the king. Isn't this romantic? Okay. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weary and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So here's the first thing I want you to catch. There's a lot of promises in there, but the main thing I underlined for you that I want you to get out of here is that the fear of the Lord has to be taught. We don't pop out of the womb knowing how to fear the Lord. We don't pop into being born again knowing how to fear the Lord. We must learn about the fear of the Lord. Come to me and I will teach you how to fear the Lord. So there's a component of being willing to learn. I love the fact too that it's not up to us to determine what it is. We must learn what it is. Let's go to the next one. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Listen, look at this. Look at that. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of the Lord is a treasure. The fear of the Lord isn't something that we want to throw away. It's not something we want to get rid of. It's not something that's not valuable. We go, oh, well, that was great, but we've moved on beyond that now. No, the fear of the Lord is a treasure. It's something that we want to seek for. In fact, I remember the kingdom of heaven being compared to a treasure, that you sell everything and get that treasure. The fear of the Lord is treasure. It's something we must be taught. And it's a treasure. It's a treasure that we would seek. Psalm 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So what does that mean that it's not? It means it's not, it's not dirty and soiled. It's not, you know, some of us have experienced what it's not. Some of us have experienced manipulation through people using the words like fear of the Lord, like be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is not manipulation. The fear of the Lord is clean. I wish I had more time to talk about it, but I want to say this. If you've had a bad experience about teachings or about encountering the Lord and the fear of the Lord means something negative to you, I want to declare to you that that is the soiled fear of the Lord. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's soiled fear because the fear of the Lord is clean. So ask the Lord to show you, Lord, where is my understanding of fear soiled? Because your word says that it's actually clean and that it endures forever. So it's not going away. The fear of the Lord is not going away. But many of us have been wounded by some bad teachings or some bad experiences, and they come from the enemy. The enemy is a liar. He's the first one that accused God of not being good. He's still doing it today. He's still saying God wants you to be afraid of him. He doesn't want you to be afraid of him. He wants you to hold him in reverence and respect and awe and care more about what he thinks than what you think. The fear of the Lord is clean, and it endures forever. It doesn't go away. It didn't end with the New Testament. Jesus didn't kill the fear of the Lord on the cross. It continues and endures forever. So it's something like a treasure that we seek. It's something we must learn, and it's clean, enduring forever. Proverbs 8, 12 and 13. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Whoa. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. I just want to say this. The fear of the Lord causes us to be able to understand what is good and what is evil, which means that the converse is also true. 
if I do not understand the fear of the Lord, I also do not understand, to that extent, I do not understand how to hate evil. I will actually allow evil to live in my life, live in other people's lives. I will allow it to shape how I think and believe to the degree that I do not engage in the fear of the Lord. I will be subjective about those things. I will begin to call that which is good evil and that which is evil good. The fear of the Lord helps us to make that distinction. All right. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. Did you say, this is so good. I should have just used this scripture and preached on it the whole time. But let me just show you a couple treasures here. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should go. Notice the he, God. As I fear the Lord, God begins to instruct me in the way that God chooses. He becomes my teacher. When I fear the Lord, God himself becomes my teacher. Wow. And then the last part, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. When I fear the Lord, he begins to give me the secrets of who he is. He is hidden for me, not from me, but for me. But the invitation is that I would fear him, that I would fear him, that I would give him the place in my heart that he deserves. And I love this last part, as I fear the Lord, he will make them know his covenant. The fear of the Lord makes me understand his covenant. What an extraordinary promise that I would know his covenant. Who is his covenant? Jesus, the Christ. To know Christ, to know God is eternal life. And he's saying we will know Christ. How? Because we fear the Lord. What an incredible entry point. But do you understand the humility that it takes to fear the Lord? It means you're not God anymore. It means that you don't start statements with, well, what I really think is when you're talking to the Lord. You might use those words. You might say, so Lord, I'm admitting to you that this is what I think. What do you think? (laughs) Okay, that's a good sentence. But you don't come and say, well, Lord, what I think is this. That's much like Cain's sacrifice, isn't it? When Cain, when Cain worshipped the Lord, he's like, I think this ought to be enough for you. Here's a couple of vegetables. Abel came and went, I'm going to bring you the first fruits of my flock. I'm going to bring you the absolute best that I have because I hold you in reverence and awe. One was acceptable and one was not. Amen? You guys seeing this? All right, let's keep going. Okay, I love this. Psalms 211, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. That almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? But it's such a beautiful invitation. In, in the previous verse, he says, to, he says, all of you rulers and kings, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. You see, when we come before God, beloved, we're not coming before a benevolent Santa Claus where we walk in and say, hey, Santa, I've been good a couple of days. Give me some stuff. 
We come before a God who is holy and righteous and just and merciful, who measures out the universe in the span of his hands, who spoke you and I into existence thousands of years ago with one word. And when Adam came into existence, as he formed him and breathed into him, you and I were brought about in that day and now have been born from those words. His words resonate throughout all of eternity like a song from his mouth. And in every place that you see, he created it. And when you stand before him, you cannot see him in the fullness of who he is because he is so holy and he is so powerful and he is such raw awesomeness that we literally will die. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. What do you compare that with? No one. And so that's why we say, let us serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. When we look at what he is and who he is and how he is, and we begin to contemplate the goodness that he has, but the holiness that he has, suddenly then we say, my God, my God, who is like you? How could I ever elevate my own thoughts above yours? I don't humble myself because, because you're insecure, so you won't feel slighted by me when I'm around. No, I humble myself because you're awesome, and you made me. And what can I do but show gratitude and fear you? Acts 9.31, this is a beautiful statement. For those of us that maybe we, we, we sort of embrace this idea that, that the fear of the Lord, like I, I think that on some level, and again, let's bring this before the Lord, but because we in the West, I don't know how I'd preach this to a different nation, I don't live in a different nation. For those of us in the West, we really do have this, I, this very elevated view of ourselves. It's good, you are important. It's good, you are significant. It's good, God calls you sons and daughters. Those things are all good. But let me tell you something. You are not God's peer. You're not his peer. Yeah, I love it when he talks to Job. Job, who is this that comes into my presence and has counsel and no wisdom? <laughs> Job's like, ah. Uh. Remember what Job said? I had heard about you, but now I have seen you. He started saying things like, Lord, you know. He didn't say, Lord, here's my case. He goes, Lord, you know. Isn't there, isn't there you guys, there's such a, I can't even talk. I'm just humbling myself right now. There is such an invitation for us to enter into the fear of the Lord that actually enables us to worship him in spirit and truth. Because when you and I are trying to worship a God and we're still trying to see him as though he's a peer, that's not worship. That's just friendly negotiation. See, there's an invitation to actually know him as he is. But that invitation comes as we come and, and approach him as he actually is. And that's where we bow down and we say, you, O oh God are the God of gods. You, O oh God, are the creator. I fear you. I reverence you. I look to you. You are holy and I am being made holy. 
You are righteous and I am being made righteous. You are the creator and I am the creation. I come to you and oh my God that you would give me the fear of the Lord, that I would understand your covenants, that I would understand you, that I would be intimate with you and know you as you are. Oh my God, I reverence you. I worship and serve you in fear and yes, God, the closer you come, the more that I'm trembling. And here it is in the New Testament in Acts. It says, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Beloved, that's what we're to be. First of all, like I said, the fear of the Lord didn't go out of vogue in the New Testament. It increases all the more. In fact, in one place, the apostle says, we don't come to a flaming mountain with fire and billowing smoke, but rather we come to a living God. And if somebody, let's just stop right there, come on. See, that's the invitation that we're coming and we're living in the fear of the Lord. We're saying, God, I just care more about what you say than anything else I care more about who you are than I care about who I am. I just want to be near you. I just want to know what it is that you're asking me to do. I will do that thing. I will not require you, God, to make me feel some way in order to obey you. I come to you because of who you are. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Don't you love this? Let me unpack this and connect a couple things here with Holy Spirit. I love that they're encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Holy Spirit is the teacher. Let's look at 1 Peter. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So again, here we see in the New Testament, we're still being called to live in the fear of the Lord. There's a position where we put ourselves, where we actually say, Lord, excuse me, Lord, I am more afraid of disappointing you than I am in disappointing that lion that's going to eat me. Lord, it causes fear in my heart to send you a disrespect message, a devaluing message, a I don't love you the most message. That causes me greater fear than to disappoint this person over here. That's part of the fear of the Lord. You care more about what he thinks. And you don't make up what he thinks based on how you're feeling today. You go and check and see what he said. What did you actually say? I fear you too much, Lord, to make up my own religion. So I'm going to check with the one you actually gave us. Come on. And that's part of fearing the Lord. And there's an invitation. But what, but I, what I want you to catch, and I, as, as I just said in a moment, it said what? Live in, they were living in fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. This is impossible to fear the Lord without the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Just like it's impossible for us to forgive other people without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to fear the Lord without the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It's not natural. It's supernatural. 
Just like you don't see the kingdom of heaven until you're born again, you're not going to fear the Lord until he gives you the fear of the Lord. Are you, get, are you catching this? You're not going to stir it up. You see, if you and I were to, to begin to try to engage in this, we're like, okay, I like this idea. I like the idea that the fear of the Lord is important. And you decided, I'm going to go after that. And you did it on your own. You'd end up with legalism. You would judge yourself extraordinarily harshly, and you would do everyone else the same. And you would have basically truth with no spirit. you got to worship him in spirit and truth. Now, there are those of us that in the name of the spirit say, well, I'm in freedom, whom Christ has set free is free indeed. I'm just led of the spirit. I just do what I feel like. I do what I do. I had some good fruit here and some good fruit there and some good fruit there, so that's my religion. That's how I'm going to do it. Well, that's you just using, quote, the spirit, but you're not even checking in with truth anymore. You're not holding him in reverence and fear and checking to see what he actually said. You're just using the, quote, spirit to flit around, and you're still not living in the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? So we have to do both. We need spirit and truth. We're living as worshipers and we're engaging and God has given us an on-ramp. He's given us a treasure. He's given us a path. He's given us a way that we can learn to actually know God. And that way, that worship, that way of worship is the fear of the Lord. So we just saw several things of what it is. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. The fear of the Lord causes us to be be taught by the Lord. The fear of the Lord teaches us to be able to discern between what is good and evil. And there are myriad different scriptures that I didn't put in here, but they were all good. But let's get down to it. How then shall we respond? What shall we do if this is something God has given us and he has? If Jesus Christ himself delighted in the fear of the Lord and it was his entry point and a huge part of why he worshiped appropriately and defeated the enemy and we're to live the same way, how do we do it? Why to the degree that we're not doing it now are we not doing it now? Why is it foreign to us? And I think I explained some of it. Some of it's very cultural. But we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind and so therefore let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And I would say this. We find the answer in Proverbs. My son... If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I want you to know that when you come in here and you sing songs, but you don't understand the fear of the Lord, you're singing love songs, hoping for some kind of a breakthrough of a God you don't yet understand. God is inviting you to worship and sing songs to him, but he wants you to know him. He wants to engage your heart and your mind. He wants to engage your spirit and form your character. He wants to teach you that you can have a bad day and have an amazing life. He wants to take you beyond simply being led by pleasure and be led by his eye. And the path that he's given us for that is the fear of the Lord. So we look at this and we say, okay, God, so then we need this. We need to know what this is. I want to I I give you a couple of sentences here. And these are from other saints. But this is, this is their attempt to summarize some of what the fear of the Lord is. A divine fear. The reverencing and adoring of God's holiness. I love that the, that the Lord's prayer is this. 
Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It doesn't say divine dad. Guy that I pray to, give me my bread, amen. No, it says our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You see, we reverence and adore him in holiness because he is actually holy. Do you see that? There's a character that we're approaching that causes us to respond in reverence and fear if we're actually seeing him. The next thing is worshiping him in the beauty of his holiness and coming before his sacred inspection. Search me, O Lord, see if there's any wicked way within me, David says. Allowing the Spirit of God to search us. We did that this morning before we took communion. Holy Spirit, inspect me because God is holy. This isn't just bring whatever you got and that'll be enough. No, it's bring whatever you got and bring it before the Lord and let him sort out. This is gorgeous. This is beautiful. That is lice. Okay? I love this. A gracious habit and a principle placed by God in the soul, causing us to love what is beautiful and hate what is evil. Come on. Fear of the Lord causes us to hate what is evil, but to love what is beautiful and pure. But we can't do it apart from God, right? What's the scripture say? Apart from him, we can do nothing. And the last one, powerful sense of both the fury of his wrath and the sweetness of his love. For those of us that try to minimize the fury of God's wrath, we cheapen the grace that was purchased by Christ on whom God's wrath, and the Bible says it, was poured out. You see, if we think that God's just a super cool, chill, laid-back dad that's just like, whatever, man, I'm love, and so I handled it. So do your thing, and y'all make mistakes, it's good, no problem. You, you don't know God yet. You are that welcome. But he is not that flippant. You need to feel that safe, but you need to discover who your dad really is. And the fear of the Lord is our invitation to know him as he is, that we could worship him as he is, that we could be intimate with him as he is. So here's our prayer. Proverbs gives us that opportunity. Jesus says the same thing here in Luke. He says, ask and it will be given. But I want us to go through now. We're going to take the next few moments. And I want us to respond because if there's one thing I want you to leave with today, then it's two things. (laughs) Number one, that we must fear the Lord. We must. We must. To the extent that we don't, it's to the extent that we don't know him, and it's to the extent that we don't worship him yet. Number two, it is a treasure that we seek that only he can actually give to us. You can't stir up fear yourself. You have to make an act of will to say, just like in every other way, Lord God, will you give me the Holy Spirit? In that previous scripture that I didn't have time to read to you, Jesus says, how many of you, if you ask, will my Father not give you the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? The teacher. When you fear the Lord, God will become your teacher. Who's the teacher? Holy Spirit. Who will teach us to fear the Lord? Holy Spirit. Who of us just realized that we have a massive deficit in our own life in the area of the fear of the Lord? probably everybody. So we have an opportunity now to walk through this. And so here we have in the Proverbs this opportunity. I'm going to read the scripture and I'm going to read some prayers 
And I just want to invite you that if, that if there's a prayer that resonates with you, and I hope that they all do, then I want you to pray it under your own breath unto the Lord. And then we're going to end with that. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. As we look at this invitation from the Holy Spirit in Proverbs, this is wisdom calling out to us. Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. We look at this and we, we see him calling out to us, if you accept my words, and we, our response is, Lord, I choose to accept your words. I accept your words. I'm tired of mine. I accept your words. I turn my ear to your wisdom. I apply my heart to understanding. There is an application. It's, it's not just, this won't just be, hey, Lord, could you do this thing for me? Okay, you didn't. Well, I tried. No, no, no. We're seeking him as treasure. We're seeking him as treasure. We're waiting. We're saying, oh, no, I'm not going anywhere else. I already know it's you. And I'm just going to keep looking. I'm going to keep applying. I'm going to keep applying my heart to understanding. And then it goes further, indeed, if you call out for insight, Lord, God, I call out for insight. I cry out for understanding. I recognize that I don't even understand how to approach you as you actually are. I've made you into this, like, chilled, laid-back dad that's a lot like me. And you're partly that way, but that's not all you are. God, I cry out for understanding. I value and I search for it. Lord, let me understand the fear of the Lord. Lord, let me understand the fear of the Lord. Lord, let me understand the fear of the Lord. Let me know you. Let me worship you in holiness, in spirit, and in truth. Grant me the fear of the Lord that I may know you and let me know you that I may fear you and worship you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The prayer servant team is coming forward. If you need prayer, I just encourage you. Get it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace.